Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's September 12th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Cancer is a diagnosis no one wants to receive, but approximately 25,000 Kiwis will hear that bad news every year. Making those numbers even worse is the fact that our public health system doesn't always go as far as it could to help those afflicted by our biggest killer. Just this week, a Rotorua man told the Herald about having to spend more than $100,000 of his own money over the last two years in his fight against bowel cancer. What are the root causes that allows that to happen? And why does Australia seem to have a better handle on cancer than Aotearoa? Today, on the front page, Rachel Hart, Chief Executive of the Cancer Society, helps us understand the shortcomings of a system that allows so many to fall through the cracks. Rachel, just for some context, can you remind us of some of the numbers that make cancer such an important issue in New Zealand? Yeah, sure. Cancer is a significant issue for the health system and an issue that touches everyone. Every day, around 71 New Zealanders will hear the words, you have cancer, and each year about 9,500 people die from it. Maori are twice as likely to die from cancer than non-Maori and making cancer an issue of equity. The good news is that there are steps the government can take to address key cancer issues now. Our election manifesto outlines 12 things we want the government to do in its first term. Given that we are in the middle of a cost of living crisis and everyone's talking about bread and butter politics at the moment, how much money was raised this daffodil day and how does that compare to previous years? Through channels we can immediately measure, like online giving, we've surpassed last year's totals. But that's only one part of it. We're still some weeks away from knowing the amount raised from our national street appeal, and many of our awesome supporters are still running Daffodil Day-related fundraisers. You can still jump online at daffodilday.org.nz and give too if you haven't done so already and wish to support our work. Rachel, in your manifesto, you take aim at alcohol-related harm, saying that we need reform. Now, the fight against smoking has been well-documented for decades, but what do we know about alcohol and its relationship with cancer? How many people are suffering severe effects from the impact of alcohol use? Alcohol causes at least seven types of cancer, so mouth, throat, larynx, esophagus, bowel, liver and breast. Any regular alcohol use, even small amounts, can increase the risk of cancer, The more alcohol that someone has, the greater their risk of developing cancer. In 2020, an estimated 943 cancers were attributed to alcohol in Aotearoa, and it accounts for about 6% of all cancer deaths. Breast cancer is actually the leading cause of death that can be attributed to alcohol for women in New Zealand. So what we've seen is associations between drinking alcohol and increased rates of breast cancer. First of all, when we drink alcohol, our body breaks it down into what's called metabolites. The main one is acetaldehyde. That is actually a carcinogen, which is a chemical that is known to cause cancer. Drinking alcohol also increases a woman's estrogen levels, and we know that higher levels of estrogen have been linked to increased risk of breast cancer. Do people actually realise that cancer as common as breast cancer can be attributed to alcohol use? That's often a surprise for people to learn. It's not something that's widely known and it's certainly something that we're trying to raise the profile of. 
Over the last year, we have seen politicians like Chloe Swarbrick try to bring changes to the law. The bill does two things. The first is remove special appeals processes for local alcohol policies. The second part of the bill implements some of the recommendations from the 2014 Ministerial Forum on Alcohol Advertising and Sponsorship. She's used the data around those cancer rates as part of her motivation to drive this change. Given that alcohol is so culturally linked to New Zealand, what will it actually take to get officials on board, given that Chloe Swarbrick has struggled so much to get anyone to buy into this idea? We've got some research that's currently in press that shows that there's actually public support for alcohol law reform. So things like banning alcohol in sports or in cultural events that are for people under the age of 18, stopping the alcohol industry and being involved in government policy making and increasing the price of alcohol and spending the extra money on treatment and harm prevention. We believe that actually there's public support for those issues. So why hasn't there been change? I think it's partly due to the alcohol industry spin and the shift of focus from regulation to individuals. We want more transparency over what is discussed between government and alcohol industry representatives, and we want mandatory cooling off periods between related public and private roles. There is some good news. Um, there's been some positive signs with the sale and supply of alcohol community participation amendment bill that recently passed its third reading. This will help communities have more say on how alcohol is sold in their communities. But much more needs to be done, including reducing the availability of alcohol, restricting alcohol marketing in all forms, and embedding Tetiriti or Waitangi in our alcohol laws. Why do you think politicians are quite hesitant on this issue? Is it just this old case of people being afraid to mess with people's uh, right to have their beer? And does it come down to this argument between personal freedom and then regulation? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. No one wants to appear that they're trying to stop people from having a good time and socialising in appropriate ways. But we think that there are ways to move on regulation that can be separated from individual behaviour. The Front Page is the New Zealand Herald's daily news podcast. And for more political news, analysis and podcasts, head to nzherald.co.nz. Skin cancer is the other big cancer that you've taken aim at. Who's doing a better job between us and Australia, given that these are the two countries with the highest rates of skin cancer in the world? Yeah, unfortunately, Damien, our Australian neighbours have shown that through serious investment and strategic commitment to skin cancer prevention, they've been able to bring down the melanoma rates, particularly in younger age groups who have had the benefit of sun smart behaviours since the start. Here in New Zealand, melanoma rates haven't changed in 20 years, and we have the highest mortality rate in the world. Our government's investment in skin cancer prevention has significantly reduced over recent years. In 2006, the government was putting in $1.2 million per year, but this year they've got 200000 so it's reduced incredibly. In stark contrast, the Australian government recently announced a $10 million investment in a national skin cancer prevention campaign over two summers. Rachel, what's really frustrating about that is that there's often the sense that you can get better treatment in Australia 
than what's available here. And this applies across cancers, not only skin cancer. Is that a fair comment? Yep, absolutely. It's completely fair. And that comes particularly around medicines. According to a Medicines New Zealand report in 2021, the median wait time for new medicines in New Zealand was 1,014 days. In Australia at the same time, it was 422 days. For someone with life-limiting cancer, the potential impact of more than 1,000 days is really significant. New Zealanders simply don't get the same access to cancer treatments that people in similar countries get. It's a problem that's existed for a while now and is a growing community concern. We're always hearing about patients who move to Australia to get cancer medicine or who are having to self-fund cancer treatments that aren't available in our public system, even though they would be overseas. I mean, what you're touching on there are the well-versed issues with our Pharmax system, with people waiting far too long to get access to the drugs that they need. How could that system be improved? In our manifesto, we touch on kind of two main issues here. One is the problem with Pharmax processes and the time it takes to assess and fund medicines. And the second is managing the chronic underfunding of medicines. Simply, Pharmax's current model just isn't keeping up with scientific advances that we're seeing in new medicines. So we've suggest a three-pronged approach. First, we want to set a time that it should take to assess and decide new medicines. We take almost a year longer than Australia and almost three years longer than the UK to assess medicines. And we want a fast track process for medicines that treat life-limiting diseases. The second prong is to get Pharmac's budget right. Because Pharmac operates under a cap budget, any new funding relies on us making savings on already approved medicines. So we want to make sure that we can invest in medicines that improve productivity of the healthcare system. And finally, our third prong is that Pharmac is more open about how medicines are assessed so that we can have a clearer view of why decisions are made. This isn't rocket science. There's heaps of overseas models to draw from, so we don't have to start from scratch. Rachel, the common refrain we hear from politicians these days when there's any suggestion of increasing funding is that New Zealand just doesn't have the money at the moment. So given that, how frustrating is it for you when you see so little movement on progressing our tax models or looking for new ways to get funding so we can pay for the things that the country really needs? New Zealand has real pressures on the health system and to invest in that, we need to think about how we get funding to do that in new and innovative ways. Sir John Key told the Money Talks podcast that his biggest regret was not being able to get a dedicated cancer hospital across the line. So I wanted to do the equivalent of starship for cancer. Family experiences and things realise, you know, there's a lot in the system that's really found wanting and you go and have a look at these debates around Pharmac and what drugs are actually funding and, and so I had this view that we should just do this. Do you think this is a missed opportunity that politicians should look to address right now? Yeah, look, having a cancer hospital is all well and good, but only if people can travel to it. We're asking for timely and accessible cancer services, and we want to see cancer care and support ultimately brought closer to home. Due to the changes to the health system, more cancer patients are needing to travel across the country for treatment. Many simply cannot afford this and are missing out 
the health reforms will not deliver the intended outcomes if the government doesn't solve the National Travel Assistance Scheme, which is long overdue for an overhaul to make it straightforward and fair and fit for purpose. Rachel, New Zealanders are increasingly relying on private insurance to cover their medical bills, but insurance companies sometimes deny coverage to people who are genetically predisposed to certain cancers. So what's your view on that? Isn't that just a form of discrimination, given that these people have no choice in what their genetic makeup is? Yeah, absolutely. This is discrimination. In 1999, the United Nations said that no one should be subjected to discrimination based on genetic characteristics. But at the moment, New Zealand insurance companies can ask for a person's genetic test results, which they then use to increase premiums or to deny cover. This, as you say, deters some people with strong family histories of cancer from taking potentially life-saving genetic tests or other health measures. So we're asking for a complete legislative ban on the use of genomic information by insurance companies. Again, New Zealand is sadly lagging behind Australia and the UK and USA and Canada on this. What you just touched on there is really important because you suggested that these tests and the fact that you can be excluded from insurance almost serves as a disincentive to get a life-saving test. Yep, exactly, exactly. So what we want is not for everyone, but for people who have a strong family history to be getting genetic tests so that they can be taking preventative action and anything that's a barrier for them to do that should be removed. Rachel, study after study has shown that the best way to save someone's life is to detect cancer early. So why does our healthcare system sometimes seem so limited in terms of those early screening programs? Wouldn't it be more affordable for the country long term to increase accessibility to screening and maybe make it more widely available? Yes, Damien, absolutely. We want to see more investment in detecting cancer at an early stage when treatment's more likely to be successful. Screening aims to find cancer before the symptoms develop, so before the person might be able to know about it. And some screening, like cervical, can even prevent cancer. We're asking to see improvements to current screening programs, including lowering the bowel screening age for Māori and Pacifica to 50 extending the age of breast screening to 74, and funding free cervical screening for everyone. We're also calling for the development of a new national lung screening program based on the findings of the lung research program Te Oranga Pukahu Kahu. This New Zealand research has added to the international research that shows that lung screening can save lives. Again, we're trailing Australia on this, which recently announced a $250 million commitment to implement a national lung screening program. Lung screening, coupled with the really strong smoke-free measures, will make a real difference to lung cancer, which is the biggest cause of cancer-related death in New Zealand. In the long term, we'll save the system money. Rachel, is it fair to say that New Zealand's lagging behind Australia in basically every major metric when it comes to cancer treatment? Yes, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of any that we're beating them. Given that our major parties are currently talking about tightening their belts and looking at how to save money, how likely is it that we'll see any of the improvements that the Cancer Society is calling for in the coming years? I think we must see improvements. The 12 things that we've asked from the government from the next term will make a tangible difference. 
Many of the asks that I've talked about today and that we've outlined in our manifesto don't require vast overhauls of systems or major reviews. The infrastructure to deliver them is already in place. What is required is commitment and acceleration and investment. These recommendations will save lives and they'll also make the health system more efficient over time, saving money that can then be directed to other issues. Thanks for joining us, Rachel. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.